stories of innovation and success from the vibrant communities of rural Nova Scotia. This is Ignited. Hey there, welcome to Ignited the Podcast, where we celebrate innovation and rural success. I'm Wade Cleveland. I work for a rural innovation hub called Ignite. We help build vibrant economies in rural Nova Scotia by bringing together startups and industry, youth and community, and seeing what comes of those happy collisions. Now today, I'm going to have an old guy moment. I'm sorry. I've been thinking nostalgically about the days when I was young, growing up in what was a tiny neighborhood in rural Nova Scotia where everybody knew everybody else, and everyone felt a part of that neighborhood. It was a different time when interaction between people was simply the way of things. Now, sometimes I miss those intimate neighborhoods, and I wonder what's going to become of my granddaughters as they grow up and how they view where they are and how interconnected they all are. Barry Braun, my guest today, misses those days as well. Barry developed the Happy Community Project. This program has received international acknowledgement for its innovative and effective way of creating a cultural shift within communities from Windsor, Nova Scotia, to Uganda, to India, and Boulder, Colorado in the United States. He's built on this experience to launch Happy Community Builders in 2022 and the Good Neighbor app in 2023. How did this all begin? About 12 years ago, I was reflecting on, I was about to become a grandfather and I was reflecting on my grandchildren's future. And the picture that was forming in my head was not a very happy picture. And so I committed myself then to mitigate their future the best way that I might be able to. And uh, out of that was the Happy Community Project was born. Uh, I decided back then that the best way of doing that is if they could get support from community as they go into their future, then uh, they will get the best that they can get out of, out of life. So uh, I focused all my efforts on trying to make happier communities, which are communities that are socially connected, belonging, and full of mutual caring for each other. We've lost connection at that very basic point, that point where people interconnect face-to-face -face with your neighbors just doesn't seem to be happening anymore. Well, when I talk about the idea with people, one of the most common phrases I hear is like it used to be. Uh, and even from reasonably young people, like 40-year-olds and older, 20-year-olds uh, not so much because it never was like that for them, I don't think. So people have a longing for the ways neighbors were connected with each other in the past. That's what they mean by the way it used to be. There, there's a strange phenomenon. I, I went looking for a picture to ca capture that idea. And the, and the phrase that we used to have was, you know, go over, walk over to your next door neighbors, walk in and borrow a cup of sugar. I tried to find a picture in all of the uh, graphic picture places uh, out there in the world of people sharing a cup of sugar. <laughs> you can't find them anymore. It's a lost idea. And I think that's reflective of the way the world has evolved. And it used to be such a common thing. Uh, things like borrowing a cup of sugar became almost a cliche, if you will, uh, yeah. especially through, you know, the old 70s sitcoms, the Brady Bunch and all of those kind of things. My experience is, is in rural communities. And I suppose it would be different if I were living in a city. And so if you're listening to this and you're living in an apartment building, then perhaps it's a different experience than what I'm used to anyway. But even where I am, I live in a small rural community. I've lived in the same house for going on 19 years now. 
Um, just recently, a couple of the longtime neighbors have moved on. Uh, one went to a retirement home. One uh, moved into an area closer to their relatives, closer to be with their family. And those houses have been taken over by new families, which is wonderful. I'm ashamed to say I could not tell you the names of the people who have moved in. I've said hello. I've waved. But we've never had a real conversation. And really, that's kind of a shameful thing. That's a, it's a terrible thing when you think about it. Well, it, re- it, it reminds me of a story that I had just very recently, and last week, in fact, with a good friend. They moved into their neighborhood 30 years ago, and when they moved in, they made a point because everybody was in a new neighborhood of going around meeting each other while they were out there doing their landscaping and all that sort of stuff. But it's a 30-year-old neighborhood, and it's now transitioning over to younger people moving in. And he told me the story of how there was a younger couple had moved in next door two years ago, and then he met him for the first time when the moving man was moving them back out. And it turned out his wife had died. Nobody knew. And unfortunately, I hear that story. It's not common, but I've heard it many times in my work with building community as to how people don't know their neighbors when they have something as tragic as that happen. I've been running into an incredibly interesting phenomenon, and it is that people actually want to be connected with their neighbors. They have a strong desire to want to be connected. But they use the word terrified when it comes to going over to their neighbor to say hello. They're terrified to say hello to their neighbor. (laughs) Somehow or another, it's a big intrusion on on their neighbor if you go over and say hello. and, And so people don't. And that's how we've evolved for some strange reason. And that's what I'm trying to undo so that it's back normal for people to walk over and say, Hey, I live next door to you. If you need any help, I'm right next door. And, you know, uh, we should get together and play cards some night and stuff like that, right? You have the concept. You have the pain point. It's something that I don't think anyone would disagree with. You're sitting there contemplating, you know, the world your grandchildren are going to grow up in. You come up with a concept of, of happy communities. What do you do next? Where, where does this take you at the very beginning of it? What did you do? Well, it's been a journey of 12 years of trying to figure all of this out. And we started the journey. My, my background is cultural change in re- large organizations. Uh, how do you change the culture of an organization? And so I saw this as a cultural problem, and, and I developed a process where we were able to actually shift the culture of a whole community, a whole town of 10,000 people or so, or a, a neighborhood of five or 6,000 people in a larger city. So that's where we started doing that. But that's a slow process. It takes a couple of years to get that culture ingrained into the majority of the population and sticking there. So when COVID happened, I started wondering how I might be able to do this more efficiently and on a more scalable basis, because one community at a time is really great, but it's slow work when you try to change the whole country. So COVID gave me an opportunity to do a lot of rethinking and we took a lot of the lessons that we learned from doing that work and repackaged them into something called the Good Neighbor app. And what the Good Neighbor app does is uses a little bit of technology to actually get people talking face to face with each other. And so that was a great idea and people said they love it. But then we also noticed that they have this challenge. It's great that they, they love the idea of talking to their neighbor 
They want to talk to their neighbor. They see the app as a very useful tool for talking with their, initiating conversation with their neighbor. But then there's this terrified to talk to my neighbor thing that's going on, right? <laughs> They're afraid to go over and say hello. And so we've had to develop on top of that another process, a process that we call the five steps to a connected neighborhood, which guides them through how to actually initiate the conversations with their neighbors in a fun and safe and easy way. And that's been working, but when then we find out that people still kind of need someone there with them to do this. So we've now recruited coaches to work with them, to, to help them along, to be able to actually use the five-step process to actually connect with their neighbors. And that seems to be working. We're getting traction now. <laughs> but it, it's a very effortful process on our part, which we're very happy to do because my goal is I want my grandkids to have happy neighbors around them. We're very happy to do this, but uh, but this is what we've discovered that people need, is that they need the process to how to connect with their neighbor because they don't know how to do that anymore. And then the confidence and the hand-holding and the guidance on how to actually do that process. My goodness, there's a lot to unpack there. And, and I want to start by asking about you in particular. Most people do, especially at those big moments, you know, the birth of grandchildren, birth of children sometimes decide, okay, I'm going to change the world. Not everybody goes out and says, okay, I am going to change the world and here's the plan. That's an ambitious project. And I'm just curious, have you always been the guy who says, okay, something needs to be changed. I'm going to be the one to change it. Well, I've been... Uh, a risk taker, I guess, uh, through my life that's led me through some really high highs and some really low lows. <laughs> but uh, I've always been able to sort of stick my head out and say, let's get this done. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But this particular challenge, I think, is so critically important uh, that I've made a commitment to myself, to my grandkids. They've heard me say it that I'm in this to the end, trying to make the world a better place for them. I think that's incredibly important given the way the world's unfolding. They're going to need the support of their neighbors as they move forward into their life. And so, you know, if I was smart, I probably would have quit already. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm motivated and I, I ignore smart and just keep on doing it. And we do make progress. We do get change happening in the world, which is always rewarding. I want to tell you about some amazing programming at Ignite aimed at youth. Inspiring youth and exposing them to entrepreneurship, STEAM programming is one of Ignite's pillars. STEAM stands for science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. And it's the key to igniting creativity, imagination, and innovation. From our creative arts and music series of events to game creation, the $100 Entrepreneur Challenge summer camps to our Up and Atom Science and Sports summer camps, we are helping to build future innovators in our rural communities. For more information and to sign up for our events newsletter, visit IgniteAtlantic.com. Good neighbor app. Let's start with that. I worked on and implemented the Happy Community Project for five years before I started repackaging it in 2019 into the Good Neighbor app. That was a four-year process of being able to think through and apply with, with technology all the, all the ideas in it, keeping it simple. People need simple, yet there's complicated in there, so we have to make complicated very simple. Uh, and so it took four years of thinking all that through to 
be able to get to there. Okay. How did you do that? Obviously, you're not alone in this. You're working with a team. Did you develop a team or uh, just kind of start doing the work and see who latched onto it? Well, uh, some people are attracted to the idea. They think as well as I do that it's very important. So there are a team of uh, five solid people around me, plus a whole pile of others. Nobody's getting paid. I'm not getting paid. Nobody else is getting paid. We're all doing this because we think it's important. But they're an incredible team of talent. There's uh, world-class people all the way around who are supporting, helping the Good Neighbor app and uh, the forming of the ideas and then translating those ideas into practical applications so that they work in the world. Let's get into the app first, and then we'll get into some more practical stuff about developing this whole thing. The app itself, how does the app work? Well, simple. <laughs> that, was a really, that was a really important criteria. There was three criteria that I used for the designing the app. One is it had to actually get people talking with each other face-to-face. -face. That was the most important criteria. Then after that, it had to be really easy to use. And then the third criteria was that it was private and noise-free. If you use any kind of other social media, they tend to be very noisy with a lot of unwanted messaging from other people or posting from other people or advertising or other kinds of intrusions that you have to filter through to try and find something that's actually interesting. So those are the three criteria that we used, that it was got people fa talking face-to-face, -face, easy to use, and private and not noisy. On the easy to use, how does the app actually work? The first step is you have to connect with someone. So you have to actually go and talk with a neighbor. And that's part of the five-step process. How do we bring neighbors together so that it is safe, it's easy, and it's fun? If it's not easy or if it's not fun or if it's risky, then people won't do it. So we've had to take all of those things and, and make them true. So first step is you take the app and you have to take it over to someone and connect with them face-to-face. -face. You can't connect with people online. The whole point of it is getting people talking to each other. So the app becomes, once you've got someone connected, it becomes a way of maintaining the connections so that meeting someone once, talking to them for a short time, and then disappearing, like this example that you met, paid where you met your neighbor, you probably know their name because you probably talked to them enough to know their name, but you now wave at them. That connection initially wasn't strong enough to actually make a bond with you. And so the what we use the app for is actually strengthening that bond to maintain the connection so that it's constantly getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And so the way that happens is that uh, people message someone. They message someone about one of three different things. There's something going on in the neighborhood. Uh, let's have a social event going on in the neighborhood, like a potluck barbecue, or let's, uh, I need some help with something. And all three of the responses to those kinds of posts that can be made on the app uh, have a very simple answer back, yes, no, or maybe. <laughs> yes, I'll be there. Yes, I'll help you. No, I won't. Or maybe I will. And if it needs more talking about that, then there's facilities on the app to get us actually talking about it. So let's just talk about it. How is the response on the app part of it? Great. When we present the app to people, because there's this longing, there's longing to connect with their neighbors, to connect with being part of a community, a neighborhood community, because that longing is already pre-existing, their response to it is, awesome, I love it. And love it is the most common phrase that we hear. And then they 
download it. Now the next challenge is actually going over it, connecting with a neighbor. Mm-hmm. And that's where we have to give them an, an extra helping hand to be able to do that. Mostly people keep to themselves and feel like going to say hi to someone is almost an intrusion. I mean, maybe that's a Canadian thing. Maybe it's not. But it does. It feels No, sometimes. it's not actually a Canadian thing. It's a Western world thing. It's true in the United States. It's true in England. And it's true in Australia. Hmm. I know that from talking to people all around the world. Uh, they all have experienced the same thing. Somehow or another, our Western world has evolved from a place of community to a place of private place to live. And it's an intrusion to in, invade in that privacy by saying hello or asking someone for help. It's, sad. It is. That's kind the way of, the world yeah. has gone. It's not even a kind of. It is definitely sad. It's it's a it's a loss because in my mind, it's those bonds that make community strong, and community is what creates everything. That's where everything stems from. I always talk about my own location, which is Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, and I believe that what is small about us is what makes us great. It's those connections that you do and the ability to talk to somebody on a fundamental level. Well, that's what all human beings long for. And so if you can create something that has that, then the repercussions will be felt all through that town or all through that location. And it can spread because contentment, happiness, and association can be contagious it can flow like there's, a like a snowball rolling downhill. There's actually a research study that um, I can't quote it off the top of my head, but that says that if you're happy, uh, you'll you'll automatically make somebody within a mile of you, 1.6 kilometers of you, happy as well. <laughs> They'll be happier as well. It is contagious, and happiness comes from having strong social connectedness. Humans have been in community. With, you, you talked about the word longing. Well, we long for it because it's fundamental to being human. Humans have been in community where communities were places of social connectedness, belonging, and support for each other since humans became humans. And it's in very recent times, the last 30 years or so, where we have started drifting away from that into self-reliance and not needing anybody else. And now we're discovering how sad that is. People are having mental problems. There's research that says that if you're lonely, you won't live as long. You won't be as healthy. So it's, it's not just a longing for, it's a necessity for us to have that kind of connectedness with our neighbors. And yet somehow or another, we've been, I don't know how, brainwashed or whatever it's been, that we don't actually need each other. And now we know that we do. I know COVID was one of the most isolating times I've ever been through my entire life. Is the damage from COVID in terms of isolationism, is it still there? Are there those repercussions yes. kind of still flowing? Yes, but, it, but that was only because the trend had started before COVID. It was getting well entrenched before COVID, and then COVID really amplified it. Then through COVID, we got used to sticking in our own little place. And if we communicated, we communicated digitally somehow or another and uh, lost the communication. So it's, it, it's very much exasperated it, but it's not, it wasn't caused by COVID. COVID just amplified what was already happening. So let's get back to the project itself and how things are going. I know that uh, you are working on various places. I know that places have gone through this process. Glace Bay right now is going through it even as we speak, is it not? Yes, you're speaking to the Happy Community Program. Yes. 
uh, as opposed to the Good Neighbor app. The Good Neighbor app is, uh, well, we just had somebody sign up from Tallahassee. It's going across North America. The Happy Community Program is, uh, is a different thing that we do. And the Happy Community Program is about the cultural change within a particular community. It's a two-year process. And we are doing something in Glace Bay. We, there's three other communities that are now exploring, starting up with us as well. And so that process, it works a little differently. What we need there is a community champion who's <clears throat> willing to invest eight or 10 hours a week uh, for a couple of years to, uh, to see it through. And then we train them, we coach them, we handhold them. We get rid of obstacles that show up in front of them. We try to smooth out the bumps for them. And then they recruit a team around themselves, and we, recruit, we train that team, and they implement a process. And that process is a little bit different in the sense that it's about truly cultural change. And culture is always reflected in the stories we tell. We behave according to the stories that we tell ourselves, and communities have a story. So that process is about changing the community story and to change it in a way that, that's very natural, that there's no outside force influencing what the story is, that people of the community themselves organically create their own new story. That's about connectedness, belonging, and carrying it. Right. So it's a very fundamental movement. It's not something that, okay, the, the town of Glace Bay presents. It's nothing like that. It has to be done from within and has to build from there. The, the mantra is there's no they should, it's we should. So there's no they organizations, there's no they government that's causing our change in our story here. We, the citizens of this community, have decided that we want a different community and we make up our own new story for the community. How did you develop that process? That had to take a while. Well, it didn't take that long for me because I had a long career in cultural change for organizations, and it's the same principles. We as humans dance to the story in our head. Every person knows this, that there's a story going on in their head, and it pretty much directs their behavior. One of the stories is, who am I? And then we act according to that story. We're pretty consistent in how we behave. Well, communities also have a story, organizations have a story, and people pretty much conform to the story of the, of the community. Uh, it's how we get accepted into the community. And so, as a for example, in a small town called Windsor, Nova Scotia, they used to have a story that went something like this. We're so divisive here. If somebody has a, a good idea, we'll fight about the idea until the idea dies. We're so divisive here, nothing ever happens here. That's the story they started with. And they worked very hard to make that true. <laughs> they had all kinds of examples of how they, they shot themselves in the foot over and over again through their divisiveness. Today, after having gone to the Happy Community Project, their story is very, very different. Their story is, look at all the stuff that's happening here. What a great community to live in. And look at how we look out after each other. What a great community. Very dramatically different story. And now they behave according to the new story for the most part. And it's a very different experience living in Windsor today than it was when they had the old story six or seven years ago. If somebody's listening right now and they're saying, you know, I, I want this. I want this for my neighborhood. I want this for wherever I may be living. Where does that process start? How does that happen? We're talking about the Happy Community Program. Yep. That one is an email to myself or going to our website, happycommunityproject.com. 
the email is barry at happycommunityproject.com. The other one is the Good Neighbor app. Right. How do you turn your neighborhood into a more connected neighborhood? And that also can be an email to me, barry at happycommunityproject.com, or they can go to goodneighborapp.com and download it from there. Or they can go to Google Play or Apple Store and just download Good Neighbor app. Once you've downloaded the app, you'll be introduced to the five-step process and invited to reach out to us if you want more coaching support. Shifting cultures is not the easiest thing in the world. You've taken on a big idea and a huge concept there. It's not easy. And I, I never fooled myself that it would be easy, although uh, it is more daunting I mean, depending on the day that I look at it than, than I had anticipated. But it's also very rewarding because there are people who are stepping forward, people who do want to change and no one else has to take on the whole world. They just have to take on their little corner of a neighborhood. And if we start changing neighborhoods one at a time, eventually there'll be a critical mass to that. This is the new normal way of doing things, talking with our neighbors, and we will change the society. And that's how it'll happen, is it does not happen all at once. It happens by you changing your neighborhood, somebody else around the corner changing their neighborhood, uh, someone in the town next door changing a neighborhood in their town. And eventually there's enough neighborhoods being changed in how they think about each other that it just becomes a new normal social way of doing things and everybody wants it. That's wonderful. And I wish you absolutely the best uh, as you move forward. Thank you for your time, but more especially, thank you for this whole concept, because to me, this has the power to change not just neighborhoods, but entire cultures. So you're playing with some powerful stuff here. Yeah, thank you so much, Wade, for the opportunity to share this. To find out more about the Happy Community Project and the Good Neighbor app, visit their website, happycommunityproject.com. You can contact Barry from there. You can also contact him and follow him on LinkedIn. To find out more about rural innovation and what Ignite does, check out igniteatlantic.com. If you enjoyed this episode, hey, we'd love it if you subscribed to Ignited, shared us with your friends, and gave us a good review. And remember, you can find past episodes anytime by looking over our archive wherever you download your pods. And we'd love to hear from you. Any comments or suggestions about the podcast or who you'd like to hear on it are most welcome. Email me at wade at I'm Wade Cleveland. Thanks for listening. Talk soon.